Listener supported. WNYC Studios. Listener supported. WNYC Studios. Thanks so much for listening to this special feed, The Sound of Pride, Stonewall at 50. I'm Kathy Tu, co-host of Nancy. If you like what you hear, you can find more coverage from WNYC by visiting wnyc.org stonewall50. And if you love these episodes as much as we do, we encourage you to subscribe to all of these great podcasts and share your favorites with your friends. Okay, Tobin, what's up next? Up next, an episode from The Takeaway. This is The Takeaway with Tanzina Vega from WNYC and PRI Public Radio International in collaboration with WGBH Radio in Boston. Let's take it back to the 70s in Southern California to the city of Los Angeles, home to America's oldest black woman-owned nightclub, Catch One. At its height, the club hosted the likes of Madonna and other cultural icons. Jewel Thais Williams bought the downstairs bar of Catch One in 1973 for the sum of $18,000. Two years later, she purchased the upstairs space, and by 1975, the catch was open and inclusive to communities that at the time were often excluded from mainstream nightlife. If you were female, if you were black, if you were gay, that was one of the reasons why Jewel started Catch One, because there was a need. There was a need for anyone and everyone to be able to go and dance and enjoy themselves. That's C. Fitz, the director of a documentary about Jewel and her patrons. It's called Jewel's Catch One. The club closed in 2015 after more than four decades, but I spoke with her and Jewel about the safe space the catch provided at the height of the disco scene and through the depths of the AIDS crisis. In Los Angeles, it was the beginning of what we call the gay sexual revolution. It was basically and really quite ground floor in that there was um, very little public things that were available period for lesbians and gays in, in those days. Yeah, they did a lot of house parties just uh, because yeah. they'd get shut down. Yeah. The seventies especially, you know, were coming out of the Watts riots, you know, late sixties and going into the seventies and, you know, there wasn't any police authority support or not much of it, that's for sure. And she became a target. It was it was tough to get it off the ground and, and going. There's a whole culture that people don't know about, right? You said house parties, the after-hours clubs, like after 4 a.m., they would continue. Yeah, the party or even before, because there wasn't any real safe spaces, you know? No. Um, and Jewel, that's that's what Catch was. It was a safe space to dance, and everybody could go. Jewel, I would love if you could describe to us a sense of the scene. What are people wearing? What are people doing? As you know, gay guys are always uh, the front runners of the fashion trends, <laughs> whether it's for, for them designing for women or for themselves. So they dressed up. They went all out for coming to the club and trying to be the fiercest dresser in the house, only to sweat it out within the next half hour or so after arriving, so. Right, and I think um, a lot of people don't even know that, right? I would say to people, yeah, back in the day, we'd go to the club and we would sweat. Like, that's yes. how much you danced, right? Yes. No, if, if you didn't sweat, then you didn't dance, really. 
And one of the things that I think the club scene, you know, when I was growing up represented, and I'm wondering if this was the same with the catch, was freedom, safety, the ability to just be free and spin around and wear what you want, and just this, this expression. Oh, for sure. And you're right about the freedom. I, I found it for myself there, too. I wasn't, you know, out of the closet and, and open, you know, to my family, friends, or anyone except the innermost friends and acquaintances, gay and lesbians, ones that I had. So it was a, a place for, for me and and others to come out and know that we weren't just a handful of people, but there was literally thousands of us. So it was uh, sort of like a refuge in some ways. Oh, without a doubt. You know, there were kids that were being put out um, by their parents and others that were ostracized by the churches and pretty much by the community at large. And quite a few were were homeless. Became more than just a nightclub. Oh, yeah, without a doubt. I want to just pivot just for a minute to back to Fitz in, in terms of the role the police play Tell us a little bit about that. Sure. When Jewel um, opened, they raided her, shut her down. They would come in with her rifles drawn and fake that they're looking for somebody and all kinds of ways to harass her. And that continued on. And imagine that, you know, taking that responsibility for hundreds of people in that club and trying to continue making it a safe space and a place where, you know, they won't be harassed. Well, we also know that this era that I recall also came with the AIDS crisis. Can you tell us a little bit about what that was like? It was frightening to say the the least, and it just wasn't pretty much every day or two or weekly thing when someone would come in and announce somebody else had been tested and they had it and they were in a hospital and we had hospices there. And I can't even tell you how many how many men that I held close to my shoulder and while they were crying about dying and their fear of that. But it just kept on growing and growing and growing. Um, She lost more than half her patrons at the club. And imagine, and and they weren't just patrons. A lot of them were her friends because the catch had become a home to them and she was mom. One of uh, my closest of those friends that I called my brother. He was a part-time bartender there. We had talked for, for months about, you know, safety, and uh, then he started to get sick, so I suggested that he get tested, and he said, okay. I said, do you want me to go with you? And he said, no, it, you know, I'm okay because I, I never do anything that I should have, have gotten the disease from. So he came back in two or three hours, and with tears in his eyes and then said, Sister, I got it. I said, Oh my God and we both just cried then together and and he, he too passed in about five or six months. You know, we're sort of assuming that you had a lot of support from the LGBTQ community, but what about the black community? No, that did not happen. The black community is very religious in general and were down on on homosexuality, so there was no going to a, a church and asking for help in in our community. The you traditional know, they, ways, right? There was there was no, you know, trying to get money or anything from them. But we did help fund 
and start the Minority AIDS Project. And I was also on the board of APLA, AIDS Project Los Angeles, the preeminent AIDS organization here in L.A. during those days. Is there anything yes. you miss about the club? You know, after 40 years, it, it for sure had become a place where people, uh, sometimes parents, sometimes friends, sometimes cousins, would call or come there if they knew that, that who they were looking for was gay or lesbian and ask if they knew them. I miss the camaraderie. I miss the family connections that I had and the community uh, in general that the catch had, had spawned. Well, I want to thank you both for being with us um, on The Takeaway. Thank you so much thank for having us. Thank you for us. the invite, yes. That was C. Fitz and Jewel Thais Williams. The documentary is called Jewel's Catch One, and you can find it on Netflix. 